0: What does it take for a person to go to heaven? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 13 this morning. I want to talk to you about why I believe most Americans and and to be honest with you, most church members aren't going to heaven. Most Americans and most church members are going to hell. Now before you get mad and before you say I'm judgmental, before you say I'm self-righteous, before you say I'm mean-spirited, hear me out. Because I don't believe that I'm any of those things. I, I feel like the Apostle Paul when he said, I am the chief of all sinners. I, I recognize that the very best that I have to offer God is not good enough to meet God's standards, so hear me out. I'm not making that statement out of self-righteousness. I'm not making that statement out of a judgmental spirit. I'm saying it out of concern. Concern for those who truly believe that they are going to heaven. And yet the truth is they are headed to hell. You see, there is a feel-good message that has permeated our culture And it's permeated the church and it says that we can go to heaven as long as we believe certain facts. Let me give you some some facts. A recent Gallup poll discovered that 9 in 10 Americans believe in God. That surprised me. 9 in 10 Americans and the actual figure is around 98%. 98% of Americans believe in God. According to a new religious landscape study that was put out by Pew Research, 71% of Americans claim to be Christians. So out of all the people that live in America today, 71% claim to be Christians. A recent Rasmussen survey that came out in Easter of this year discovered that 69% of Americans believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the grave. So understand, the overwhelming majority of Americans believe in God, they believe in Jesus, they call themselves Christian, but understand those beliefs are not enough to get us to heaven. Because we've missed the one thing that everyone must do to be saved and go to heaven. And that is repent. I want you to hear me. I don't want you to miss this. You see, it's not simply belief that gets you to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that there's one thing everyone must do. If they're going to go to heaven, if they're not going to perish, and that is they must repent. And yet it seems that, that many and perhaps most of our churches today are teaching an easy believism, a cheap grace that offers salvation without surrender, that, that offers regeneration without repentance, that, that offers a home in heaven without a hatred towards sin. We want complete liberty when it comes to our lifestyle choices. And yet we want that liberty without the lordship of Jesus Christ. And there is no such thing according to God's word. You see, the Bible teaches that that message is going to lead us straight to hell. That's why there are going to be many people who who stand before the judgment of God one day thinking they're going to go to heaven, and God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And I want you to look at, at Luke chapter 13. In light of this partial gospel that is being proclaimed today. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus had been teaching the crowds. And, and chapter 12 tells us that, that there were literally thousands of, following Jesus, listening to his message at this time. And as he was speaking in chapter 13, in the midst of this story, Jesus said something about repentance that should cause each and every one of us to sit up, to listen, and to take note of what he said. Now, evidently, there were two events, there were two tragedies that had made the news. And everyone was talking about them. One occurred in Jerusalem. Pilate, who was the Roman governor, had murdered or had murdered a number of people who had come from Galilee to worship at the temple. And and evidently, Pilate had it in for those people and he had them killed. The other event took place in Siloam. And evidently, there was a tower that fell on 18 people. And it killed Every single one of them. Now you need to understand something about the mindset back in that day. You see, people believe that if something bad happened to you, if something tragic happened to you, it was the universe getting even with you. If something bad happened, obviously you deserved that because you had sinned. It was fate. It was karma. And so the people were thinking in their mind, what did these people do that caused them to deserve to be murdered by Pilate? What did these people do that caused them to have this tower fall on them? And in the midst of these tragedies, Jesus said, I want you to know that those people from Galilee, those people from Salome, they're not bigger sinners Than you are. As a matter of fact, two times in this passage, in chapter 3 and, or verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, no, they're not bigger sinners than you, but unless you repent, you too will perish. You see, Jesus was saying, apart from your repentance, you are going to perish, you're going to go to hell. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means that the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, is absolutely worthless apart from our repentance. It means that the blood of Jesus will not save apart from our repentance. It doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter how well you have done it. Unless you repent, according to Jesus, you will perish. You have no hope of heaven. You will go to hell. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read Jesus saying something like that, that gets my attention. It makes me listen. That is important. Unfortunately, most of our churches aren't teaching repentance today. Most of our churches aren't telling us it, that this thing called repentance is necessary for salvation. So in light of that, what I want to do is I want to share with you three truths. And my prayer is that God will use these truths to either affirm, Firm your salvation or draw you to salvation this morning. I don't want you to leave here without with questions. I don't want you to leave here with, with doubts. I want you to leave here with the firm assurance that you're saved. And so as you hear these truths, I want you to say, yes, praise God, I am saved. Or I want you to say, I need to be saved. And at the conclusion of this service this morning, I pray that you will repent and give your heart and life to Jesus. Three truths. Here's the first truth. God's holiness demands repentance. I want you to turn with me to Acts 17 in your copy of God's Word. Acts 17. Paul had traveled to Athens. Athens was the seed of greek philosophy and thought and the bible says what he saw troubled him everywhere he went everywhere he turned he saw idols to every imaginable god athens was was the epicenter of pluralism they loved debating and then accepting all religions all gods all ideas so one day Paul was standing before them, all of these philosophers, at a place called Mars Hill, a place where they would listen to the latest truths, the the latest fads, the flavor of the day. And he shared with them not the latest religious idea, but he shared with them the timeless truth of God. And this is what he said, beginning in verse 29. He said, Therefore, By raising him from the dead. Now don't miss what Paul said. He said perhaps some of you have been worshipping all these different gods. and, And living the way you have out of ignorance. But you can't excuse the way you live. You can't excuse the gods you serve anymore out of ignorance. Because today at this place God is commanding everyone to repent. Because there is coming a day when God is going to judge the world through the man, Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. Now let's go back to the beginning for just a moment. You say the beginning of what? The beginning of everything. You see, the word of God teaches that God, the almighty God, the holy God, created man in his own image. He made man his very own children. He created man, Adam, he created woman, Eve, and the Bible says that they were created in his image and they were placed in a beautiful garden, paradise, the most beautiful paradise ever created. And God walked with them and and God fellowshiped with them and God talked with them. It was heaven on earth. God gave this man and God gave this woman one command. Only one command. They lived in this paradise. They experienced fellowship with him. And God said, if you want this to continue, there is only one thing that I command that you do not do. You cannot eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. Well, the Bible tells us that, that Adam and Eve ended up doing the one thing that God told them not to do. They ate the fruit From that tree. They sinned against God. They rebelled against God. They believed the lie. That they could become gods. And they sinned against the one true God. We call that event the fall. Because that event. Caused everything to fall. From its perfect place. God had created everything perfect. And yet. When man sinned, man rebelled against God's rule, everything in the created order fell. And that includes each of us. Now, are we just victims of of Adam and Eve's rebellion? Are we just victims of Adam and Eve's sin? Absolutely not. Because each and every one of us have joined in their rebellion. When we sin against God, when we break His laws, when we choose our way rather than His way, we are rebelling against Almighty God. We are committing treason against Him. And we are becoming the enemies of God. You see, sin is not just wrong actions. Sin is not just bad choices. It's not just... Moral failures or flaws. Sin is rebellion against God's right to rule His creation. It is treason against who God is. And listen, God is a holy God who cannot tolerate or overlook sin and rebellion. And if we are ever going to get right with God, we have to repent. The Bible teaches that. From cover to cover. As a matter of fact, the theme of repentance is found over a thousand times in Scripture. A thousand times. Now, we're not even going to look at the Old Testament. I want us to start in the New Testament. I want to start with a man named John the Baptist. The Bible tells tells us he was a prophet. He was sent by God to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Savior. And he came proclaiming one message, and that message was repent. In Matthew 3, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near. Later on in verse 8, it says, Prove the way you live, that you have repented of your sins, and turned to God. John told the people that if you want to be prepared for the Messiah, you have to repent. You have to turn from your sin and turn to God. When Jesus came on the scene and began his public ministry, his message was the same. It was a message of repentance. In Matthew 4 verse 17, it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is near. The very first word that Jesus proclaimed was repent. He was repeating exactly what John the Baptist said. Now, why do you think that is? I believe the reason is because it is the missing link in the gospel message. You see, it is so much easier for you and I to choose to believe facts about God than it is to admit that we have rebelled against God's right to rule our life. And that's what repentance is. I want you to picture with me for a moment a a loving father who is blessed with a son. And the father does everything he can for his son. He provides for his son's every need. Everyone that looks at that son and looks at that father knows that that son is the father's pride and joy. It's obvious. But one day the son comes to the father and says, I don't want you to be my father anymore. I wish you were dead. And the son turns and walks away from his father. You see, that's what we have done to God. And yet, my even saying that causes some of us to bristle. We simply cannot accept the fact that we have done that to God. So we make excuses, we do comparisons, we justify our actions, we do everything we can do but repent. You see, repentance is is throwing up our hands, admitting our guilt, giving up the fight, surrendering our lives, and and that's tough. But understand, that's the message of the gospel. Repent and believe. In every generation, in every person, the message is the same. When you hear the gospel, your response Is to repent. Now look back at chapter 4 verse 17 of Matthew. Notice how that phrase begins when Jesus began his public ministry. It says from that time on. In other words, repentance was always a part of Jesus' message. It's not that Jesus began his message with repentance and then he moved on to bigger and better things. No, from that moment on. Jesus' message for three years was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus sent out his disciples and they went out and began to preach. Do you know what their message was? It was a message of repentance. In Mark 6 verse 12 it says they went out and preached that people should repent. When Jesus ended his earthly ministry. Most often, we we quote Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But in Luke 24, we have some words that Jesus spoke to his disciples that the other Gospels don't record. It gives us the the Great Commission, but it gives it to us in in a little bit different language, a little bit different perspective. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. It says, he told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then listen. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so when we go out and share the gospel, what is the message? The message is repent so that your sins can be forgiven. And it didn't stop there. When Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came upon the church and and the crowds were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate that Jewish festival and crowds gathered, thousands gathered because of what was taking place in the lives of the disciples and Peter preached. The Bible says when the people asked, what do we need to do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. In Acts 3 verse 19, when Peter was at the temple and he began to preach, he said, repent, turn to God so that your sins can be wiped out. When Paul was at Mars Hill talking to the the philosophers of his day, he said, this is the message, repent. That's what God commands. And when the apostle Paul was before King Agrippa sharing his testimony, this is what he said in Acts 26. He said, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent, turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. You see, repentance is the only saving response to the gospel. You need to understand that. We say, well, we need to believe. Well, of course, you've got to believe, but the response is to repent. Once we hear the gospel, our response, the only saving response is to repent. In Acts 2, when Peter preached, and they said, what do we need to do? And he said, repent and be baptized. It says, those who gladly received the word were baptized. Those who repented were baptized. Repentance is our response to the good news of the gospel. Now listen, if repentance is that important, we better understand what it is. And I'm convinced that, that not only does the church seldom speak about repentance, I'm afraid that many in the church misunderstand repentance. And so the good news is this, and this is the second truth. God's Word describes repentance. God's holiness demands repentance. God's Word describes it. Now, the word repentance in in the Greek metanoia literally means a change of mind a change of perspective that results in a change of life but as we we look at the number of times that repentance is used we discover that there are some there are some things that can be used to describe what true repentance really is and and here's how repentance begins it begins When we recognize our sin, we're never going to repent until we recognize our sin. Jesus told us in John 16 verse 8 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of guilt in regard to sin and of righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be able to see our sin. We will be able to see our rebellion. Now, why is that important? The reason that's important is because most people are blind to their sin. The Bible tells us that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of people so that they cannot see. They don't see who they are, sinners, rebels against God. That's why people say, I'm not that bad. They don't see who God is. He's not just a God of mercy. He's a God of justice. He's not just a God of love. He is a God of righteousness. And so the God of this world blinds our eyes so that we don't see our sin. We don't see who God is. And until our eyes are open and we recognize our sin, we will never repent. But understand, recognizing our sin, realizing our sin is not repentance in and of itself. There are many people today who... Who have been convicted of the Holy Spirit, they know their sin, but their conviction hasn't led to repentance. And so for repentance to take place, it continues as we experience remorse over our sin. In Acts chapter two verse thirty seven, when Peter was preaching, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter, and they they said to Peter and the other apostles, brother, what shall we do? They, they were cut to the heart. Has your heart ever been cut? Has your heart ever been broken? Not because of heart disease, not because of a heart attack, not because of open heart surgery. Has your heart ever been cut because of sin? Has your heart ever been broken because it was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross? In the Old Testament, when people understood their sin and they understood the holiness of God, they would beat their chest. We read of some prophets pulling their hair out. They would dress in sackcloth and ashes because they were so broken over their sin. Have you ever been broken over your sin? I can remember The very first time I was convicted, I realized my sin, and I realized it to the point that it broke me. It overwhelmed me. And you can say, Rocky, you're just an emotional person, and I may be, but hear me. If I'm emotional, then the Bible seems to indicate that God makes people emotional. When they realize their sin before a holy God. Because remorse, brokenness, something that happens when we realize our sin. The Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted. But understand, sorrow or a broken heart by itself is not repentance. Genuine repentance will always involve sorrow. But sorrow by itself is not repentance. You see, I can be sorry for my sin and yet still die in my sin. Oftentimes, I'm sorry because of the consequence my sin brought. Oftentimes, I'm sorry because of the hurt my sin caused. Oftentimes, I'm sorry because of the shame that my sin resulted in. And and I'm not sorry because my sin is against a holy God. But you see, saving repentance... Causes us to have sorrow because our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Hear me. You can be teary-eyed. You can be filled with shame and remorse and still die in your sin. I'm convinced that there are going to be many people who stand before the judgment seat of God going, Wait, time out, God. I was was broken. God's going to say, No, you just had remorse. And your remorse didn't lead to repentance. I want you to listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 7. Paul is speaking and he says, Now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. And at every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. In other words, their sorrow led them to repentance That led them to a life of no regret because their life was changed. And so repentance begins as I am convicted of my sin. I realize it. Repentance continues as I have remorse for my sin. I I, I feel sorry for my sin. I am shameful because of my sin. But that in and of itself is not repentance. You see, repentance causes us to hate. And to reject our sin. You see, it's not enough to be broken over sin. I've got to have a desire to break free from sin. Did you hear that? It's not enough to be broken over sin. Remorse. There's got to be a desire deep within me to break free from my sin. That's what the prophet Ezekiel said. Ezekiel 14. Therefore... Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, renounce all your detestable practices. In chapter 18, Ezekiel said, therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you. Each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Ezekiel tells us to repent and, and then he gives us a definition. He says we're to to turn from our sin, we're to renounce our sin, our idols and our offenses. We're to renounce these detestable practices. And if we don't, Ezekiel says that our sin will be our downfall. But here's the problem. Here's what I've discovered. We can come to the point where we're convicted of sin... We have true remorse over our sin. We have a desire to reject sin. But then we come to the point where we realize in and of ourselves, we can't do it. That's what happens to a lot of people. The Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin and they don't realize it's the Holy Spirit. They feel the shame and sorrow over their sin Because they realize that somehow, some way, they are are sinning against God. They have this desire to renounce it and reject it and turn from it. But then all of a sudden, they realize that in and of their own power, they can't. They just can't do it. That's why Isaiah the prophet said that our very best efforts are, are like filthy rags. They're just not good enough. And so listen. Repentance culminates as we relinquish control of our life to Christ. Now listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Don't miss that. Paul says, none of these people inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you, <laughs> this fits you to a T. You wear it like a glove. It describes you perfectly. That's what you were. But then listen to what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You see, repentance is coming to that point where we move from self-rule to God's rule. It is turning over, relinquishing control of our life to the Lord God. You see, God's holiness demands repentance. The Bible describes repentance. It's it's realizing our sin, it's remorse, shame over that sin. It's rejecting sin and then relinquishing control of our life to Him. But finally, and this is the greatest truth, God's love is what draws us to true repentance. You see, it's not that we can scare the hell out of you. And sometimes we try to do that, don't we? If I can just let you see the horror of hell, the destructiveness of sin, somehow, some way, maybe you will turn to God and give Him your life. And yet the fact of the matter is, people are never changed truly because of fear of hell. People are changed, redeemed, made new because of the love of God. Listen to what it says in Romans 2, verse 4. Don't you realize how patient God is being with you? Or don't you even care? Can't you see that He has been waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sin? His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Oh, dear friend, the gospel is God's message of love to us. And if the cross of Jesus Christ will not cause us to turn from sin, then nothing will. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says the Lord doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God's desire is that everyone repent and be saved. You say, well, Rocky, I believe Jesus died for my sin. Great. devil believes all of that stuff. James chapter 2 makes that clear. The devils were there, the demons were there at the crucifixion. They were mocking Jesus. You better believe they were there in the unseen realm cheering for what was taking place. They saw him three days later come out of the tomb. They know that the gospel message is true. They believe it. The difference between the demons and those of us who are saved is this. The demons are still living in rebellion. They haven't repented. They haven't turned to God. fallen on their face in shame, admitting their sin, admitting their rebellion... Asking Jesus to control and lead and guide and direct their life. They haven't done that. And that's what repentance is. In Revelation chapter 16, we read about, about the end times. And we read about this time called the tribulation. And, and people disagree on when this takes place and who is going to be here on earth at that time. But there are some things in Revelation that you cannot debate and one of them is in revelation 16 verse 11 where god's judgments are being poured out on the earth and in verse 11 it says and those who were experiencing the judgment they cursed the god of heaven for their pains and sores but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to god you see each and every one of us have a choice We can repent, turn from sin, and turn to God, or we can perish. Those are the only two choices. And you say, Rocky, I've done that. Well, let me just ask you a couple of questions, and then we're going to pray. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I've done that, but you're living in sin today, you're living in rebellion. We don't need to go into those details, but if you're committing sexual sin, you're living in sin. If you are stealing from your employer, if you're stealing from the government, you are living in sin. And we can go on and on and on. And if you're living that way and trying to justify your behavior, you have never repented. You say, Rocky, that's harsh. No. Repentance is turning from sin. It doesn't mean that we'll never struggle. It doesn't mean we'll never fail. It doesn't mean we'll never fall. But it is saying, God, I am turning from sin. I hate it. I am rejecting it. And I want you to rule my life. And it's surrendering to his control. And when we do that, hear me clearly. He changes us from the inside out. He changes our desires. He changes our wishes. He changes our wants. And so have you repented? Because I don't care what you believe about Jesus. If the gospel message hasn't caused you to reject sin... And relinquish control of your life to Jesus. You haven't repented. And you're gonna perish. I want you to bow your head with me. Your head bowed and with your eyes closed. If you're here and you're saying, Rocky, I've never done that. I know it. I can I can play a game, I can. I can answer the right words, but I know in my heart right now that I've never repented. The Holy Spirit is convicting me. I know I need to repent. If that's you, and you're willing to acknowledge your sin before God, then I want to encourage you with a humble heart to pray this prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, pray this prayer. Dear God, please forgive me. I believe the gospel. I believe your son died on the cross for my sins. I believe your son rose from the grave after three days, defeating sin and death. I believe your son died in my place. You love me. In light of the gospel, I'm repenting. I recognize my sin, my self rule. I am so sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. I am rejecting sin. I'm giving you control of my life. Come in, take control. I am yours. From this moment on, through your help, by your grace, I will live for you. Thank you for loving me. Enough to let your son die for me. Thank you for hearing my humble prayer. And saving me. Amen.